0: This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at Nearside Low, Side Low Podcast with your host Charlie. And for those of you demanding Ray, if you fast forward about a minute, you'll be able to hear his silky voice during the interview. Anyhow, we have got a special podcast today, definitely geared towards water polo players that are interested in playing at the next level. Um, it doesn't matter if you're interested in Division 1, Division Two, Division 3, Club Status, we have got answers for you. Uh, Ray was able to get a hold of the commissioner of CWPA, Dan Sherry. Sheridan, and he is here to answer all our questions about playing water polo at the collegiate level. Give it a listen. Uh, here we are, Nearside Low Podcast. We've got a special guest today, Dan Sheridan, who is the commissioner of the CWPA. Welcome, Dan.
1: Uh, it's a great, great pleasure to be with you guys.
0: Well, as we always like to do with our guest, um, tell us a little bit of what is, I just said, CWPA. What is the CWPA stand for? Um, What is it? And then we can get a little bit of background on how you're involved.
1: The Collegiate Water Polo Association is uh, the acronym CWPA. And basically, we are an opportunity for kids to play water polo in an organized structure. Uh, It was formed a long time ago out of necessity um, the, the original history of this is kind of funny, really. Some of you might know Mike Schofield, who recently retired as a Naval Academy coach. He now officiates, but he was a Navy coach for many, many years. And we graduated college about the same time. I graduated from West Virginia University. He went to Pitt. And WVU was a collegiate club program, so we didn't exactly play against each other. But we knew each other, and we played against each other in the summer. We had a summer league called the Eastern Water Polo League that had gained some momentum. We were uh, growing and we had teams from all the way up through Canada on the Eastern seaboard. Through that process, we had things like an awards program. We had a program that we'd print. We had statistics and that kind of thing. And Mike said, you know, we don't have anything like that on the collegiate side. Would you be interested in making a proposal? I said, well, I don't know what I would propose, but sure. What do you want me to do? And he said, well, why don't you come on out to our meeting? So I came out. Um, basically, the way that the colleges operated at that time was they sat around a big table with some pizza and beer. They looked Ugh. across the table at each other, and he said, hey, Bob, I'll play you on September 15th. You okay on that? And they'd say, yeah. And at the end of the table was Paul Barron, who was the basically the, the head of officials. And he'd write down what everybody's schedule was, and then he would assign the officials, and they'd go away. And that was the extent of their structure as a conference. And Mike looked at me and said, so could you do something better? And I said, well, I don't know what you want as far as how high you want to set the bar, but I certainly could create a program via some you know, medals and or some trophies and that kind of thing. We could create some structure to this. And that was in 1990 and that began the CWPA. And there were only really about a dozen schools at that time that were playing. And they looked at me and they said, so what do you want out of this? And I go, well, I really didn't think about that. What, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, we'll pay you. What, what do you think would be fair? And I said, well, I really don't know. What about 150 a team? And they said, sure, done. And so so that's how it got launched. And since that time, probably shortly thereafter, I started to think about it and kind of came up with this idea of, well, what's to stop the CWPA from being a quality conference just like the Big Ten or the SEC or the ACC? What would be the limitations on that? Clearly, resources are going to be different. We don't have a television contract and we're not in the millions of dollars with sponsors. But I thought there's probably a way for us to make the CWPA every bit as a quality kind of a conference by providing an awards program, by providing a program, a media guide, those types of things. And And make it just like any of the large conferences on a scaled-down version. So with that in mind, we kind of just grew incrementally. And uh, the rest is kind of history. We grew out of this tiny little niche. And then a few years later, we started to, um, that's when varsity and club started to differentiate. So we then created some club competitions separate from varsity. Then we added women. And then since that time, we've just been growing and adding more services and benefits as we move along.
0: What is the difference between, well, like how is a college team designated as a varsity team versus a club team? So um, just so our listeners kind of understand that.
1: Sure. So the essential differences uh, really rely in, probably in some regard, resources. If you're going to be on a varsity team, the university is going to want to have some very clear control over what takes place. And so that means they're going to hire a coach. <clears throat> they're going to prepare a budget. And you have to follow along with that budget. And then in that kind of umbrella, you're going to be answering to the athletic director or you know, his or her appointee. Right. In the bigger schools, you don't answer to the AD, you answer one of the assistant ADs. But the the kind of the governance structure is still the same. And you're all under the auspices of the NC2A, which is National Collegiate Athletic Association. So varsity teams have to obey the rules that are under the N C two A structure they 're not really difficult to obey you know it's things like you can't take lots of money if you're going to be an amateur athlete there's some do's and don'ts about recruiting we can kind of get into a little bit of those if you want and in addition to that the NC2A says you should be a student first and I know that in the, the media today that <clears throat> gets batted around as as far as what exactly is a student on a collegiate athlete basis but uh, they they try to put some parameters around it so that you're only allowed to practice so many hours a week and you're only allowed to play so many games. So that's the nutshell of, like if you're a varsity athlete, you have to work within that framework. Okay. If you're on a collegiate club level, most collegiate club teams uh, across the nation, and when I say most, um, we're talking about you know hundreds of club teams, they're going to be student run. Now the very top end of that, that group the ones that are competing um, more similar to the way a varsity team would compete. Generally, they're going to have a coach might be a volunteer coach might be somebody who gets a stipend, but typically when you go to the national championship and there are 16 teams at the division one level for the collegiate clubs, you're going to see probably 14 coaches, maybe one or two are student run, but the lion's share are going to be coached. Uh, But the resource level is very different. Schools, determine how they want to support those programs dramatically different there are some collegiate club programs where the school will decide that they want to fly you to a tournament if they need to oh wow there are others that'll provide buses and then there are others that are completely self-funded by the kids so it, it's such a wide array of how the funding goes it's hard to describe one program versus another
2: so so as, you, as you've outlined some of those differences especially for those kids that are either deciding on colleges now or will be deciding on colleges in the future? What are some things they should be asking themselves that they're thinking about whether they want to compete at either the varsity or club level?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. I, I would say that the general kind of myth in this process is that if you're going to play varsity, you're going to have to be this super stud that's one step away from the national team. And if you're going to play club, you might as well just decide it's going to be a recreational endeavor and none of the club teams are any good at all. There's such a wide variety between both the varsity and the club levels of ability that you got to throw that myth out. There is no like super standard that prevents you from playing varsity. Some of the division three levels are going to be quite broad in their level of experience or participation with the athletes. So you don't have to be on the national team to be able to get in involved and play on the varsity level. And at the same token, if you want to play collegiate club, you can find one of the better collegiate club programs. And oftentimes those are better than some of the lower level varsity teams. So there's such a wide array of choices. What I try to tell uh, kids when they're thinking about playing in college is that I will guarantee you that there is a college that offers water polo at your ability level that you'll be able to play. You'll be able to enjoy. You won't feel like you're over your head and you won't feel like you're wasting your time. There are levels of water polo, both on the collegiate club and varsity ranks that, that you can find your niche and you're going to be right where you need to be.
0: So uh, let's talk numbers. Like you said, when you kind of first came on board and started this, I, it sounded like there were, you know, eight, eight or nine teams. Like what, uh, how many, how many teams are under CWPA currently?
1: Under CWPA, we have about 150 men's club teams. Wow. A little bit over a hundred women's club teams. And on the varsity level, we have 20 men's varsity teams and 17 women's varsity teams. And to put that in perspective, um, you know, you're looking at like the MPSF has five varsity teams or six. Um, WWPA has about a dozen. Skyac has nine. So the the CWPA is the largest varsity conference in the country. Uh, not necessarily we're winning the NC2As every year. That's usually an MPSF team. But uh, as far as just total numbers, we we have a geographic footprint that basically extends anything east of the uh, the Rockies, uh, if you're going to be varsity water polo, you're in that group with us. Um, that's typically the way it's gone. And on the collegiate club level, we're in 37 different states. So, you know, short of a couple of the, the Midwest teams in Hawaii and Alaska, we've got collegiate club programs to choose from.
2: Wow. So as we're recording this here in the middle of April of 2020, um, one of the big bummers from this past spring was the fact that college water polo across the country pretty much had to shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about how that pandemic has affected college water polo and you specifically at the CWPA?
1: Yeah, it's not been pleasant. I mean, to to say in a nutshell, to watch a season uh, on the collegiate club level, we had about halfway through our regular season, some teams, based on the calendar, because every division gets to choose their own schedule, some teams had completed their entire regular season schedule and were just waiting on their championship. There are actually a couple of divisions where some teams didn't even play a regular season game. And so we had this wide variety of how are we going to handle just basic things like do we have an all conference team? Do we give awards out? Can we name a champion? Uh, every division was different. And so with all these different divisions and all these different teams, it was taking quite some time to kind of run through just basically what would be fair and right to be able to adjudicate that for the clubs. On the varsity level, they'd only played non-conference. We'd had only one uh, tournament on the Division Three level, and we had, had only one single game on the Division One level. And so there was very little to choose from. Having an all-conference team was kind of meaningless if you haven't played each other. Um, And so from the Division III level, they had had a little bit of competition with a portion of their teams on one tournament, uh, but they never really got into their season. So the frustrating thing was, I would say clearly, is all those seniors that aren't going to have an opportunity to come back and play, they've lost out on a really meaningful part of their, their college career. And that's, that's always discouraging. For me as an administrator, you know, you're in this for the kids and you want to see everybody enjoy themselves. It's hard to see that kind of loss take place. So between a logistical nightmare, you know, deciding and wrapping up all the, the different levels, and, as well as the philosophical loss of kids not being able to play, it, was, it wasn't a pleasant time.
2: Right. Right. And I know another question on a lot of people's minds is about the men's fall season uh, this upcoming fall. I know um, in my conversations with some some college teams that you're currently working on putting together a schedule. Um, but without asking you to necessarily predict the future, what are your thoughts on this fall's games?
1: Well, I think the main word that we're dealing with within our office is flexibility. Uh, we don't know when this um, is going to wrap up. We don't know when governors are now going to be able to open up uh, to be allowed. I guess the, the, the terminology now is phase three, which is, you know, basically back to normal as far as large group sporting events, those types of things. And we don't know when that's going to occur. So we're trying to prepare for all instances. Um, take, for example, If it wraps up in July and everybody's in phase three by September, we don't see any interruption with the schedule or uh, what we've planned. It should go on as normal, barring some large rebound effect. On the other hand, if it doesn't wrap up until late August, we're probably trying to do some type of a a revised schedule where we still try to get something in before December that allows a meaningful schedule and, and you can crown a champion. Now, any time between those limits, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Worst case scenario, it doesn't wrap up at all, and student-athletes aren't, you know, able to play in the fall, and then you might be looking at canceling another season. And that would be unfortunate, but I guess it's a realistic option at this stage.
2: Right, right. Well, hopefully it doesn't get to that, but um, it's great to hear that you guys are planning for all all options. So, uh, jumping, jumping to another topic, one thing that you touched on earlier was just about how much water polo has grown, uh, particularly under your watch at the CWPA. Just wanted you to comment a little bit on what your strategy is for trying to grow water polo. What kind of commitment does it take for schools to start a program, both at the club and varsity level?
1: They are, they are two different paths. So, let me just talk briefly about the varsity and I'll talk about what we're doing on the club level. Um, varsity, the decision maker is the athletic director. And in some regards, it's above the athletic director, could be a board of trustees, could be, you know, the president, but generally the athletic director is the gatekeeper in making that decision. And what the athletic director recommends typically gets approved because they're smart individuals. They aren't going to recommend something that they don't already, you know, have a good feeling that, this is the direction they want to go kind of the lawyer never asks the question. He doesn't know the answer to. So ADs are, are, you know, politically astute in that regard. And the whole idea about couching water polo to an athletic director is recognizing who they are and what they have to deal with on a regular basis. Water polo doesn't sit with his feet up on the, on the desk and waiting for Uh, or an athletic director doesn't sit with his feet up on the desk waiting for somebody from water polo to walk through the door. When I go to see an AD, he doesn't say, where have you been? I mean, I've been waiting for somebody from water polo to come in for years now. And this is the first time his general reaction is water polo. What is water polo? (laughs) And then, you know, you have an opportunity to kind of explain it. So you have to find some common ground with the AD that, that it's going to be a win for him. And with Uh, kind of every kind of, um, you know, problem, there's always a solution that meets somebody's needs in a better way. And with the the whole issue of the small liberal arts school kind of struggling financially, that's kind of the bonus for water polo. Because what I can do when I come into an athletic director uh, that is, let's say he's in a small private liberal arts school that has 4,000 kids. And they're trying to increase their enrollment or they're trying to stop the bleeding. Sometimes their enrollment is dropping and they're looking at this enrollment going, if this continues, we won't have a job. We won't have a university. Unfortunately, that's been the case with several universities in the last few years. So if I can come in and I say, look, no capital investment, you already have a pool, it's sitting idle in the fall and the springtime, it bookends your swim season. I can come in and bring 40 athletes to you at paying, you know, $20,000 a year net. So your your tuition and fees might be 30,000, you might give 10,000 in aid, so 20,000 is net to you. That's going to be $800,000. Take out the cost of running a men's and women's program for 175,000 including benefits and salaries and you make a nice amount of money. Wouldn't that be nice for you to be able to share with your admissions office and your president? And this isn't lost on them. There are institutions out there that have recognized this is the way to go. And, you know, you think about it from their end. If you add a varsity team, as opposed to try to do what's called passive recruiting, passive recruiting is when somebody from their admissions office goes to a, a career fair. They set up their table. There's 15 other schools there. They're passing out their literature. The kids walk around. They ask some kind of benign questions about the school, what it's like, and so on. And then they're hoping that those kids will actually enroll and apply and become members of their student body. Water polo or any varsity sport is totally different. You have a bona fide recruiter that knows he or she has to get a team in the water. So they're going to be given certain amounts of, of uh, resources to be able to make that happen. Secondly, we know that from statistics, kids that join a team are much less likely on a varsity level to bail out on the school, water polo has over a 90% graduation rate. Well, if you look at the typical numbers for a private liberal arts school, the retention rate is somewhere around 58 to 68%. So, if you can come in and tell the ad, not only are we going to guarantee you 40 people, but they're going to stay till they graduate. Well, that's paying you know tuition numbers for your institution. So, I don't approach the the ad with this philosophical thing of, hey, you really got to add an aquatic sport and water polo is terrific and you're going to love it. I go at it from the standpoint of saying, we can meet a financial need that you have. You're not going to have a capital investment. This is going to be good for your program. Water polo athletes are very good academically. They typically are some of the best uh, GPAs and graduation rates in the NC2A. This is a win-win for us and win-win for you. And that's how we try to so, move on the varsity level.
2: Yeah. So when, when you're starting that discussion with these schools, how does it usually work? Is it usually alumni go to the school and say they want a program? Or is it more along the lines of someone in the water pool community talking to them? Or uh, is you've just, just discussed some of the bi- financial benefits, uh, someone from the school reaching, reaching out?
1: Uh, it can be from the school. But the, the way that normally happens is I knock on the door. It can be cold calling. I can be working my way through a specific, excuse me, specific geographic area, and I'm going to try to set up appointments with these ADs as I go through there. Uh, I'll usually have a couple of anchor meetings that I already know that they're interested based on phone calls I've had, and then I'll say, hey... You know, I'm stopping through in your area, Illinois Wesleyan. Would you mind if I just dropped off some material? I have a proposal I'd like to leave with you. And if there's interest and you want to talk to me, I've got some time. And generally, those things are like uh, if I do it in the summertime when ADs are a little less busy, usually I can talk my way into the office for a few minutes. And then once that happens, we've got a nice conversation going on and uh, we leave the information with them. So that's generally how those get added. There are occasions where a school will have an alumnus or or maybe a previous involvement somehow, maybe somebody else in their conference put a bug in their ear they'll reach out to us and say, "Hey, I understand you have information. Could you help us out?" Uh, but generally, it's not passive it's usually we're going out making the the
2: ask and what about some of the bigger college athletic conferences obviously water polo is a strong footprint in uh the pac 12 as well as the ivy leagues uh schools but um what about conferences like the big 10 or sec i mean do you ever see the big 10 obviously already has some very strong women's programs but um what do you, what would it take to get further growth in some of those conferences
1: yeah you won't like this answer Uh, (laughs) nobody ever does it's kind of like the doctor giving them the medicine Um, the real problem with with water polo uh, or i guess the real problem of trying to crack the nut of a let's talk about a power five conference for those who don't know most of the nc2a finances are controlled by five conferences and their membership i give you an idea the nc2a just as a, give you a round number, probably 98% of the revenue that's derived comes through the Power Five conferences. And then all the rest of the NC2A, Division Two and Division Three schools get about two to 3% of that revenue. So it is a very um, top heavy kind of uh, situation when it comes to power, political um, clout and finances. And so when you're talking to one of the schools in a Power Five conference, like a Big Ten school, what is the um, what is the hook for the AD to add water polo? In other words, why would they? When I can walk into a private liberal arts school, there's a reason that they can I can express to them why it's in their best interest to add water polo. But most of the Power Five conferences are state run schools. They get their funding from the state legislature. If there's a cost overrun, they raise taxes. It's not a situation where they're going to look at closing their doors. You know, University of Illinois is not going to close their doors if they have a cost overrun. The University of Illinois is just going to go to the state legislature and everybody's going to pay $100 more in their taxes. Right. Or they raise tuition a little bit. But it's a totally different animal when you're talking about one of those teams. And the the other part about this is, Those teams are under a much greater microscope when it it comes to Title IX. So they are generally by this point in time already have come up with a plan for their Title IX to answer any kind of Title IX questions. Ten years ago, a lot of these schools were still trying to flesh it out. What are we going to do? How are we going to meet some of these requirements? We may have to add a couple of women's sports. Well, by now, everybody's figured it out. They're either using roster management to solve their title IX inequities or they've they've added the women's sports teams that they're going to add. And they're not looking to add more work or more more uh, sports onto their plate. It just isn't there's not a receptive audience there. Now, there is a caveat to that. Penn State just added ice hockey for men. You go, how did that happen? Ice hockey is a very expensive sport. And Title IX, what are you going to do with Title IX? Well, they had a donor, and that donor stepped up with millions of dollars, built them an ice rink,
0: Uh.
1: endowed the program, and said, look, this is no problem. We'll even provide some money for funding for women's sports. This is what we're going to do for you. Well, Penn State said, okay, we'll do it. That's a very, very unusual situation because you need somebody with a huge bankroll to do that. It doesn't make it impossible to add, I would say, a sport on one of those big five conferences. But the chances are very, very difficult. It's very difficult to do that. And there would have to be some other underlying reason that they're moving in that direction. So that's I said you're not going to like the answer because everybody wants to see one of those major schools add water polo. I don't think it's impossible, but the odds are not in your favor.
0: So you hear that water polo people out there? We got to buck up. We got to we got to find some cash. Um, so uh, Dan, where do you see CWPA in ten years, or where would you like to see it in ten years?
1: Well, I I would say in part of that, let me touch base real quick with the collegiate club teams because I think that this is where the majority of kids have opportunities to play, especially if they're not the best kids on their team. One of the things that we're doing in the CWPA with the collegiate club programs is we are contacting coaches and we're asking them to give us their contact information from their seniors and what we're doing with the seniors is we're reaching out to them and we're saying if you already know where you're going to school but you don't know where they have a water polo team we can help you get connected with the club on campus we'll give you the mm-hmm. team leaders phone number and emails they can give you information about it and that way you're clued in when you step on campus at the same time we take that information from the seniors We send it to the team leaders for those clubs and we act as matchmakers between those two so that they, they feel like they've got some kids coming onto campus. They can reach out beforehand. It helps the recruiting for the collegiate club kids that generally as team leaders are not going out on a recruiting trail and helps the kids uh, be able to find a home when they get to school. And for those kids that are going to schools that don't have water polo, we have a free equipment program where we come alongside them when we say, look, We'll hold your hand through this whole process. If you're going to a school that doesn't have it, we'll provide you a set of caps. We'll provide you free balls. We'll give you a constitution. Just fill your name in the blank. We'll help you with a budget. We'll call your club supervisor and we'll walk you through the whole process. And that way they don't feel intimidated. They feel like they've got kind of an advocate for them and they can continue to play water polo when they get to college. So we feel like we're trying to attack it from both ends because we wanna see collegiate club members grow just as much as we wanna see the varsity teams go. And that's a long way to answer your question, Charlie, about where do we see the CWPA going? I would say that the, the most important part of this is if we're going to continue to grow as a sport, we have to grow at the collegiate level. And the reason I say at the collegiate level, it doesn't denigrate anything that's happening at the high school. But from the collegiate level is where you're going to create your infrastructure people. The people who graduate college are going to become your coaches, they're becoming your referees, your administrators. Right. Right. They're not graduating high school to become those things. So it's really important for us as we grow the infrastructure. Uh, at the same time, we're adding new programs. Uh, we right now are, are really in a bad way when it comes to the number of coaches that want to coach on the collegiate club level. And it's, it's just as bad on the varsity level. We just added a school in Urbana, Ohio. And I spent about a year working with the AD, getting the program. They were excited about adding. So they announce it and they get four applications, three of which are from Europe, one of which is from the U.S. And the AD calls me and he says, first of all, we're not taking a European candidate yeah. as a coach. So you got to help me out. I mean, where are all the coaches We've got to have a talent pool. He says, if I, if I uh, start tennis, I'm going to have 20 resumes in my office box within two weeks. And so we kind of hit the phones. We were able to get him a recruiting pool. But that's the kind of problem that we're facing. We right. need coaches. And right. so and that's the part of that infrastructure.
0: Right. I totally understand. Um, okay, uh, one last question: uh, water polo related, obviously, but not necessarily CWPA. It might be, uh, and I'll push you on the spot. You got a favorite water polo memory? Could be from plane days, could be from your commissioner days. I mean, uh, whatever you want. So I know we didn't we didn't uh, prep you with this one, but you got anything? Oh, um,
1: boy, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> I think that there's, you know, I've been so fortunate to be able to make a living in a sport like water polo, which is, it's fun to play. It's fun to be around. I love the people in it. I I think my favorite water polo memory is probably a conglomerate of, of working with people who are um, all on the same page. I, I give you an example. Here I am talking to you two guys. You're running a podcast. There's, this isn't a financial incentive for you and there's, you can't really put a, a um, kind of price on that it's the ability to work with people like you and people who are in it for all the right reasons. I mean, when I have um, a, a referee just sent a, a donation check and you think we're trying to pay you because you're right. giving to the sport, how in the world are you sending us a donation check? That's where I really say that, that most of my my positive feeling about being involved in the sport comes from. It's just working with great people um, that, that want to see the sport thrive. They want to spe- see the sport move forward.
0: Right. And I, I would agree. I feel like, especially in St. Louis and just whenever I travel and stuff, water polo is a very uh, tight knit community. Ray, would you agree? You no,
2: know, I, I completely agree. So as we, uh, as you're ready to wrap this up, Dan, I just want to thank you again for coming on. I, I love what you said about uh, college water polo. Before we started this podcast, I know uh, Charlie and I were talking. I know Charlie helped uh, found the team at University of Missouri. I helped to found the team at St. Louis University. And I know some of my best memories from college came from different things with the water polo team, either various travels or hanging out with the guys on the team. So, as, as we said earlier, um, I hope a lot of our graduating seniors this year are going to be playing in college, whether it's at the varsity level or the club level, but um, there's great opportunities out there, um, not only in continuing to play the sport, but I mean, right, if you're in the club side of things, it's like almost running a small business as well. So there's a lot of other benefits from uh, from participating. So definitely uh, appreciate all you've done at the CWPA and would really encourage all our graduating seniors to take a look at their schools and see if they have a club team. And if they don't, uh, work on trying to get one. Started. Right. And I
0: just, cl- it's collegiatwaterpillar.org is the website. Yes. That's right. And okay.
1: uh, if they, whatever they need, we're here to serve them. So, okay. You guys hear that the, That's awesome. help them out.
0: Very informative. All right. Dan, thank you again for coming on. This is Charlie. This, this is Ray. And we are signing off.